Welcome to Is It Bedtime Yet? The podcast for parents about mental health and the experience of being a parent. The podcast that discusses what it's like to be adults raising tiny humans that make us all ask, is it bedtime yet? Hi, welcome back to Is It Bedtime Yet? I'm Dr. Jen, and I'm still here remotely with Dr. Serene. Hey, Serene. Um, And today we're going to talk a little bit about the idea that, you know, parenting doesn't always look the way that you expect it to, or um, that you can't really plan for everything in parenting. And I think anybody who has kids can kind of relate to that idea. Um, And we have a guest with us today, Dr. John Daniel, who's a psychologist. Hi, John. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. And John is going to talk to us today about his experience and his story of having to be flexible with parenting and and just kind of the idea that sometimes things don't always go the way that you expect them to and having to roll with it. So, John, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and uh, your your experience that you want to share? Yeah. So um, I'm a psychologist. I work mainly with kids and families, of course. Um and I have two kids of my own, my wife and I. We have a three-year-old daughter and an 18-month-old son. So you and have your hands full. I have my hands full, as I know you both do, too. And so, you know, uh, in therapy or I do testing, too. So a lot of times I'm helping families through uncertainty. And so if I'm doing some testing and diagnosing a young child with autism... A lot of times we're helping the, the parents work through what that means for the, for the future. And that, um, with my son, the, the 18-month-old now, um, never really fully got what that was like on the other side of parenting until he was born because he, he was full of uncertainty. And um, so my, my three-year-old daughter... Uh, Everything felt pretty smooth sailing. We were like, oh, we've got this parenting thing down. And then when my wife was pregnant with my son, so far so good. It was, it was pretty smooth. Um, and I'm totally lying about the got the parenting thing down in <laughs> comparison to, to my son, Cyrus. Um, about a month, uh, five, six weeks before uh, she was due, she went for a regular ultrasound. I wasn't with her this time. I was uh, actually seeing seeing clients, and um, I get a call from her that the doctor said uh, he hasn't been growing for two weeks, which is really not not normal. And yeah, so uh, she went to go see a specialist, but she said, "I think it's fine." Um, and we made a not so great plan of, it was right before my next client came in. So I canceled the rest of the day, but was gonna see, was gonna see him, but she was gonna call me in case of an emergency. Um, right. And then it was an emergency. So, uh, you know, my client got to see my face drop a little and I went out and took the call and apologized and ended the session early. But basically there was something wrong and they didn't know what and, um, so, and they were feeling like he might not make it the way he was looking um, in, the, in the ultrasounds and there might be something genetic. Um, so I remember just driving to the, to the hospital 
um, and talking with her and you know so the first level of uncertainty is is he going to make it mm-hmm. and um, so I remember having to call my dad and telling him the the situation and then so we we go to the the hospital um, and the specialist was at UCLA so they just uh, admitted us to UCLA which wasn't where we were planning mm-hmm. um, and just with this fear of what's a, what's about to, to happen and so lots of other specialists come and are trying to figure out what it is and they don't know what it is but and and all we're doing is asking but does it seem like he's gonna make it is he and and of course they can't they can't tell us so um could be a heart thing could be a genetic thing could be an an infection um and they just didn't didn't know so then they decide to take her in for emergency uh c-section and uh they how far along was she at that point sorry so she was she was 36 weeks which isn't yeah which isn't um you know that's pretty close to to it's not ideal but it's not dangerous completely right right so it wasn't about uh premature but it was there was something else that they didn't know that that was going on so, but thankfully it got to the 36 week mark, which is what I think made them feel comfortable mm-hmm. the C-section. And um, so they bring her in and have me wait in, in the hallway uh, for, you know, it was like 30, 40 minutes. Uh, I was waiting there while they were getting her ready. Um, and then, you know, they bring, they bring me in emergency c-section um they they bring him out and then just like a crowd of nurses and doctors around him and it's silent and so yeah that's the is he gonna make it peace and then i don't know how how long but felt like an eternity and then finally we hear him cry and it's just like oh um And they wheel him off, and about an hour later, they bring us in, and they have a breathing tube in him. He's kind of hooked up to all these machines in the NICU, and um, there's not much we can do other than look at him from from a distance. Um, And then, so he's in the NICU uh, for what ended up being five weeks. And it turned out he was born with a, a virus called uh, CMV. And it's this virus that apparently we all get that like 75% of um, adults have had it probably several times. But for some reason, um, and it's harmless to from like toddlers and up. Um, but for some reason, my wife hadn't had it yet. And that's when it's really dangerous. Uh especially pregnant. I'm sorry. So she got this virus when she was pregnant? Yeah. And for an adult, it's very mild. So it's just going to feel like uh, a cold. But lots of... um, Wow. Yeah. It can be passed to the the baby, which 
which is then where we see all the side effects and symptoms. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and by the way, like, I feel like, um, I don't know, so far, I feel like I'm being dramatic. Uh, like, but it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds it, like it was dramatic. It, it, yeah. was, it felt that way, but it's a happy story. You know, I, I feel that way. So um, even though there's still a lot of uncertainty, but the, but I just want to say, say that part. Um, and so the first week in, in the NICU, we were there five weeks total. The first week was, you know, we we're just itching for information. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when they found out what it was. Um, and the doctor couldn't tell us if he's going to survive. So that's like all, all we're asking. And she couldn't, she couldn't tell us. Right. And so that's the, you know, such a the unknown. Yeah. Right. The unknown, but still having, you know, a lot of hope. And then the so every two weeks the doctors uh rotate. And so she was there for, for one she was already there for one week. So we had the first doctor for one week. And then the second doctor did a really, you know, in an empathetic way for sure, nice job of setting us straight. Like, stop asking me that. We're, we're gonna we're gonna take care of him the best that we can, and um, you guys do your part and be here. And you know that was really settling in in a lot of ways, even though it sounds unsettling. Of okay, just like taking that breath and and then that's where it was about embracing some of that uncertainty and just looking at the little steps of of progress that that we were seeing. Um, so yeah, that's where we, we were, uh, slowly started, you know, survival, um, wasn't the issue anymore, uh, Mm -hmm. thankfully. So that was a huge relief. Um, I did not realize how much like infants are chemistry experiments basically where they would come each day and and talk of this k cow and all these i was never good at chemistry but the uh, all these um numbers having to be in perfect flux and uh we couldn't hold them for that for that first week and we finally got to hold them he was hooked up to all these breathing tubes feeding tubes um oxygen meters all these things and I was just looking at pictures in preparation for, you know, talking to you, to you guys and yeah. slowly getting to see over those five weeks uh, different tubes come off. Um, and and that's, that's not necessarily by the tubes coming off uh, or cords coming off, but that's how we were feeling too, just little bits of trying to hold on to the little bits of progress that we were seeing um, yeah. in that time. I can imagine that must have been so stressful, especially since you had another kid that you had to be taking care of and worrying about and then trying to spend as much time with a newborn who is getting all of this medical help and attention. And that's, that must have been just so much to juggle. Yeah. And it, and we're very thankful. Both sets of parents are, are local and they were such a big help. And um, our daughter got to go with them. Um, and she has a cousin her age and they watched her a lot 
to, so she got to play. And we were we really tried to make it a point um, that we're spending as much time as possible with her, too. Yeah. So it was a lot of juggling. And then that was something else that we were dealing with of guilt of um, leaving the NICU um, mm-hmm. at times to be to be with her. And then um, we got in a little bit of a flow of that, too, of being able to um, we went in the mornings went back home uh she was with with my parents so went Mm -hmm. back and hung out with her during the day and then went back uh to the NICU at night was our little flow of um what we were doing most days so what happened when did he come out of the NICU or when was he able to come home so he was he was five weeks there and then we were finally able to to bring him home um we we were in our uh, we had just moved into to a house about two months before, and then uh, very random uh, aside of um, we had a skunk make make a home in our home like in the cabinets in our home at the same time he was in the NICU. So, yeah, uh, we we were dealing with that, and the day they got they caught that that skunk um, and and released him um, was the day that Cyrus got released too, which was just, wow. yeah. So, okay. So we were able to go to go home on the day that, that he got released. And, you know, even though we were trying to stay in the present and all we're, we're hearing is, um, you know, the basically there were there's lots of calcifications in his in his brain and all spread across so the message we got it's gonna affect him we don't know how or how bad and um it's just early intervention which is something too i'm very familiar with talking to parents about less familiar with being talked to about when it's when it's my kid and and that's the best we can do to if there are areas affected to to compensate and so on um so you know it's lots of uh doctor's appointments at that point still checking his blood levels and and all of this stuff and then um but slowly the the medical part became better Right, so that that's the most important, obviously. So he was healthy, right? He um, was able to be home, and then so that's a huge relief. And then the next part is what's his development going to look like? So then it's uh, getting set up with speech and occupational therapy and physical therapy and neurology appointments, and so that's been our. Uh, you know, the rest of the year and a half with him. He had a, a hearing loss in one ear. And so um, where he was deaf in that year. So he had surgery for a cochlear implant. And then the message about the other ears that a lot of times it goes down, we just have to monitor. So, um, and it's just been a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of just doing the best we can do 
with, with all those services that they, they recommended. Um, but it's been really nice getting to see he really has made, uh, he's doing great. And we've got some words now and he's walking, uh, you know, he's still a little wobbly, but the vision of that early on was, was so hard to, it's just hoping for. And so it's been, you know, quite the, the process and really we're just so thankful getting to see him get to the point that he is. Yeah, it sounds like that was quite a roller coaster for you guys just to get just to get to that place. Yeah, and it was, you know, a lot of the, the cliches that I'm guilty of, of using, of taking it one day at a time and uh, finding the moments to be thankful for it really was, you know, an opportunity to have to practice what, what I preach so often. Okay. Well, I mean, you have to think like they're cliches for a reason, right? Like it's, right. it's so important to to remind ourselves of that, especially when you're in the midst of like so much chaos and uncertainty. Right. Yeah. Difficult. I mean, it, it wasn't difficult at all. But what was it like to shift? You know, a lot, a lot of parents have their birth plan, and they have an idea of you know, the first couple of weeks at home and kind of a schedule of who they're going to allow to come into the home and help or, you know, everybody kind of has a plan whether it works out or not. Um, it, it seems like whatever plans you and your wife had made completely shifted and you had to adjust. What was that process of adjusting to your new normal at the time? What was that like? Yeah, that was... It's almost like we didn't have too much time to um, have to decide. We just mm-hmm. had to to do it. So, um, and it was the his room wasn't ready yet, um, and figuring out care for our daughter and these sorts of things. Um, so it was a big shift. And then we're in the NICU, so. Not too many people can um, come and and see the us or, or the baby. And honestly, we didn't want too many people, um, sure. especially when we weren't sure what was going to happen. Um, so it was, in in a sense, um, I don't want to say isolating because we felt like we had so much support just through calls and texts and. Um, people praying for us and, and all of this. Um, but it was, it was almost nice to that because we're in the NICU and things, we got our space for my wife and I to, to be able to connect and talk about it. And, um, yeah. almost like to be able to process what's happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. So, I, honestly, I don't feel like the adjustment from birth plan wise was was too hard other than the day of when when he was born, obviously. Right. Um, but yeah, trying to to process what's happening and what it's gonna look like and the unknown of what it's gonna look like um, was 
know, was difficult, of course. Yeah. Well, so let's fast forward a little bit. So now your son is 18 months. Yeah. So what does life look like now? Or how did you get to the place where you guys are at now? Yeah. So it's, I wish I could, uh, have had the the crystal ball and, and know we're going to be at the point we are now, right? And where it feels like he, he's doing really well. And so the way, the process of getting there was, you know, sometimes up to like four appointments per week um, mm. or, or more, four days full of appointments. What uh, kind of appointments, like what kind of services were you so, getting yeah, at first it was he had to get constant blood checks for his level, his levels. He had to have a few blood transfusions. Then there was a cochlear implant. Um, mm-hmm. So that was lots of appointments there and audiology follow-ups. And so that's on the medical side. Mm-hmm. And then on the development side, it, it's um, we're doing physical therapy twice a week, speech therapy. Um, the regional center had somebody coming in. We had a deaf um, specialist also from the, well, from the school district, which uh, um, be be coming in. And so all these um, appointments. And then, so again, another thing that I'm familiar with from, you know, being a therapist and working with families who, uh, especially kids with autism, who have all these similar kinds of services, but running into the same things a lot of times, um, that I hear from them of uh, what, what's the balance between having all the services we could possibly have and having a sense of normalcy and right. um, parents that aren't burnt out. And, right. you know, <laughs> I was going to say, I just like hearing you talk about all of those appointments and services. Like it's amazing to be able to get all those services and to be able to have that for him and all those resources, but it sounds exhausting. Yeah. And the, you know, honestly, my, my wife did, I would say 75% of that. So, and, and the 25% was exhausting. So, mm-hmm. um, but the, and we tried to do it together as much as we could too. But then we had some, you know, guilt ridden decisions too, of when it comes to maybe what services we're going to scale back on or being okay with, with that, um, and especially now, you know, when we're in quarantine and a lot of them have gone over telehealth, um, being okay with, with scaling some of it back has been a hard uh, decision. That's got to be hard, like trying to keep up with all those services right now in this like telehealth time where you can't really even go in person to do anything. Yeah, yeah. So um, we've tried to consolidate a lot and make it uh and and he's 18 months so he he doesn't last very long in terms of attention um and so it's a lot of parent training and a lot of us feeling equipped to know what we can do to be helping him is is what it shifted to but but that's been really helpful too i imagine especially in the beginning when you you and your wife were adjusting to all these appointments and and even now in quarantine, I imagine this 
biggest toll on your couple relationship. Now time that you could have spent together alone is probably spent planning your schedule of who's taking who or what appointment or you know. Um, did how did this impact your relationship and what did you two do to kind of make sure you have time for each other and make sure you have time for your marriage? Yeah, and you know, we tried to be really conscious of that from from early on. Um, so this is something we both believe uh, strongly. And so, again, I feel like being a, a therapist helps helps with this part of mm -hmm. feeling the um, being connected as parents as uh, as a, the couple side is going to be the biggest effect of development wise that that we can do um for for both of our kids and so we tried to keep that in mind as as much as possible and really lots of just open dialogue of how each of us are doing um and problem solving what needs to be problem solved and then like i said we're lucky to have both sets of parents so we made sure when there was such a thing available uh, of like going out uh, that that we got a couple date nights in there and and tried to do the best the best we can even given you know how much yeah planning and juggling and schedule shifts that we had to do and it really we both feel it really strengthened our our relationship um, going through that together it also sounds like you had an incredible support system around you too which I think is so important especially in times like that where things are so uncertain and chaotic and stressful Right. And yeah, and I think we're, well, we're so thankful for that too, of it not feeling like, of course it felt like it's all on our shoulders, but not completely. And that we can ask for help and we can, and we have um, those sources of, of support. I like how you said it was the experience at the time was a bit isolating, even though you had such a big support network and support system. I think when you're going through something like that, it does feel like exactly like you said, that the burden and the weight of the world is all on your shoulders, even knowing that you have that support network. Yeah. And it's just, it's, people don't always know the right thing to say and they mm -hmm. want to be comforting. And so it's, it's going to be fine. Don't even worry. Or, you know, and we just <laughs> have a conversation with the doctor telling us, uh, you know, be worried. Um, right. So, and, and so it's, and, but then not just, it's not, I have no desire to explain that to, to anybody either. You know, as they're trying to be comforting. Uh, so, it yeah, it it's hard to feel like, um, you know, either explaining more is gonna, you know, bring bring somebody down, right? Mm -hmm. Or um, just letting it be. They're just appreciating the attempt at, at comfort, but then mm -hmm. feeling like um, those what's really going on conversations my my wife and I are able to have together at that time. I think that's a good point for people who have family or friends that are going through any challenge or any difficulty to 
I guess, take a moment and although you, you want to make the other person feel better by saying this isn't a big deal, you're going to get, it's fine, everything's going to be fine, it'll work out. It's, it's a little invalidating of your experience and although you mean it in the best way possible, maybe that's not what the person needs to hear at the moment. Maybe they need to hear like, hey, cry it out. Like, what do you need? Do you need to come to my house and just cry for five hours? Feel free to do that, you know? Like, what I was going to say is like asking them what they yeah. need. So yeah, right, like yeah. Right. And, it's, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to say what, what you need. Right. But mm -hmm. being able to, um, again, just, just relieves the, the bits that can be relieved. And at first, too, it was, you know, he was such, uh, in my mind, this fragile creature. And, uh, um, and then, so one big milestone, and I don't have, like, an exact time for it, but when I, w when I realized, uh, like, this kid can really annoy me sometimes. I felt <laughs> like that was such a good uh, a milestone of, um, yeah, so, we're, you know, and was kind of like reflecting on that after of, we're gonna be okay uh he can annoy me just like his sister can yeah. <laughs> that, that quote-unquote like typical experience of like oh he's annoying like all children are right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah and and now you know it's um still you know those appointments and you can't tell us exactly what it's gonna look like or not look like if he'll be fully able to walk without support or be in a typical classroom, all, all this unknown is still, yeah. is still there, but getting to see, um, that growth that we've gotten to see is so comforting in that, um, we're not, we don't feel trapped in that uncertainty. You know, yeah. we're, we're, yeah, just able to be where, where he is right now. You know, I'm, I'm curious, you were talking about, before you were talking about how your experience as a psychologist, especially somebody who um, has worked a lot with like kids on the spectrum and who need other services and, you know, stuff like that has sort of influenced when it all of a sudden the table was turned and it was, it was your turn to experience all of this. And, you know, your kid was going through all of these things and you were receiving all these services. I guess pushing that even a level further, I'm curious about now going back to working with your clients and, and helping them with their services and the things that they struggle with has going through the experience yourself um, with your own child influenced at all how you perceive working with your clients or has it, has it changed at all or is it just kind of still the same for you? I, I definitely think it has. I think um, trying to word this right. Cause I always be <laughs> believe what I'm telling parents, right. That it's right, the, right but to i guess have a better sense of what's being experienced you know um when when advice of things like how can we be present right now or mm -hmm. um you know judge progress on your child's own barometer right not compared to to everybody everybody else um but, but then having been on that side of that when he's, you know, first percentile this or do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Really? So I think the advice was always good, but the, um, 
you know, what we tell parents, but the, just having a better sense of experiencing what, what it's like, uh, and how, how difficult it could be to, to stay present or with what's happening or with the positive, you know? Yeah. I always feel like as a clinician, like you can always work with a client who's had any experience and have empathy for them and be able to help them understand, you know, from a clinical sense or from a human sense, but having gone through similar experiences as your client kind of takes you that level. It it like builds that intimacy and that relationship with them when, when they know, or even if they don't know, but when you know that you have been saying what they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, feeling connected in that way, whether or not I'm mentioning, you know, right. the, the story, but feel, feeling, um, yeah, connected to what they must be going, going through. Yeah. So, I think I'm, I'm just going to put my plug in here because as you were talking about um, your schedule and how taxing it was emotionally, mentally, physically, um, how difficult it could be on a, a couple, on a relationship, a marriage, um, you're, you're a therapist, right? You're, you're a psychologist. You you come with a bag of tricks. You you know the, you, you know to prioritize your couple relationship. You know to use your coping skills and your relaxation skills, and I'm, I'm sure you did, um, but most people... Right, right. I know it's not always, you know, you don't always reach out for those sometimes. Yeah. But I think it's most people wouldn't have that luxury, right? I think however tired you are, how even you don't want to add another appointment to your schedule in a situation like this, any situation where you're experiencing such a major life change, please reach out to somebody, talk to a therapist, talk to your medical provider, um, talk to somebody, you know, don't do it alone. Even though, like you said, you had a big support network, I think the support somebody can get from talking to a medical doctor about, you know, their own mental health needs, their own feelings of, you know, adjustment and possible, you know, postpartum depression, if that comes up or whatever. I just wanted to put in my plug because that's that's a lot for one person to deal with. For one, like a, a couple, yeah. But it, I mean, I, I think Serena, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think John, it sounds like your experience is so similar to things that Serena and I talk about all the time in the sense that like things like this and parenting in general, and then not to mention when you know like exceptional things happen along the parenting journey is hard for everybody and I think it's kind of normalizing for people and especially for our listeners to hear that like we as therapists struggle with this like when Serena was like I'm sure you used all your coping skills and relaxation skills and you're like yeah sometimes (laughs) but it's true though because even even though we're equipped and even though we are trained in this Mm -hmm. our clients to do it it's so much easier said than done and it's easier to help other people go through it but when you're in the thick of it it's hard. It is, yeah. And and you know, my my um my wife did some therapy for a while going through all, all of this. Honestly, I I could have definitely done that and and benefited from from it. Um 
And it is, it's a different thing than you're going to get from even from family or doctors or to, to sit and have time just for you to, to reflect and process um, what's going on and feel that you're getting that support. Um, well, so, so having gone through it as a, as a therapist that helps parents who are going through this, what advice or what would you want to share with people who might be in the middle of some kind of huge stressor as a parent or like encountering something unexpected or um, something they weren't planning for as a parent? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is to, to be able to trust yourself in, in what you feel like is going to be best for, for your family. And it's really hard when, you know, going through something like this is you're going to be flooded with, with advice. And of course you want to take that professional advice, but be able to, to trust yourselves with being able to, to talk about how it's going to work, how it's going to work for, for your family and feel like that aspect of it, of making all this craziness being thrown at you, um, somehow work the best way it can for your family. Um, being a big part of what's going to, what's going to make the difference in, in the long run, um, that it doesn't become the only thing, right? Even though it might be the biggest thing or 90%, right? But, um, just having those conversations of how, how are we going to make it work for, for us and our family? I really like what you said about like, even though it might be a big thing, like not making it the biggest thing and focusing on other things too and having conversations about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you sharing your story with us and our listeners. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And if any of our listeners have any questions for you or uh, want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Yeah. So they can find me at simi, S-I-M-I, psychologicalgroup.com. And um, it's got all my contact info there. And um, yeah, and feel free to reach out in any, at any time. And um, for our listeners, if you have questions for us or if you want to direct questions to us uh, to forward to Dr. Uh, Dr. Daniel, you are welcome to do that at uh, is a bedtime yet podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on our social media is a bedtime yet podcast with underscores between each of the words is where you can find us on Instagram and is a bedtime yet podcast on Facebook. And don't forget to check out our Patreon. And until next time, this is Dr. Jen and Dr. Serene. And we are still asking, is it bedtime yet? <laughs>